Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Josh Noble. The consumer market and DNA testing kits focused initially on tracing ancestry, but in recent years there's been growth in areas such as personalised medicine. For the FT's Future of Food series, supported by Rabobank, Darren Dodd has been testing some of these products, and he spoke to FT science editor Clive Cookson and neuroscientist Miguel Toribio Mateas about how useful they are. Clive, you've written a lot about genetic testing and its applications over the years. Give us a little potted history of where we are. It's more than 15 years since scientists worked out the basic human genome, all our DNA, and began to work out what individual bits of it, the genes, did for our health, for our lives, for our appearance, everything. It's 10 years or so since that information began to enter the consumer arena through several companies, but by far the best-known brand is 23andMe. They've now got many, many millions of customers who look at it for everything to see their ancestry through to propensity to develop all sorts of diseases. And the companies do give you medical and health advice. But one of the fastest-growing areas of application is indeed into diet, health and shopping. What should you buy to maximise your chance of living a healthy life? So it's quite a young market still. But Miguel, what's the scientific view of these kind of products? How useful are they? They are useful as a provider of pieces in a jigsaw. So you imagine your health as a complex jigsaw with an image of London. A few pieces of the jigsaw are actually missing. And what these companies are doing is providing you anything from one piece of that jigsaw to several pieces, depending on how much you do to change your health and lifestyle, your nutritional lifestyle. So some people will find one piece very useful. Some people may need several pieces to actually do something with that information. But in general, I I do think that information can be very useful for people to make positive changes to their health. Darren, you're already a guinea pig on some trials of some of the latest diet and health genetic consumer tests. That's right. Well, I'm um, enrolled on two trials at the moment. The um, the first one is something called DNA Nudge, which, as the name implies, analyses your genetic makeup and tries to steer you towards foods that best complement that makeup. It works by a wristband which scans the barcode of the product and then gives your result a red or green or a neutral signal. It's currently being trialled with Waitrose to see if it can help customers in the fight against diabetes. So I went down to Waitrose in West London this week and spoke to Chris Tumazu, the company's CEO. There's this whole paraphernalia now around direct-to-consumer genetics. People buy these kits, they send their saliva off to a lab, they wait several weeks, and they end up with generally uninterpreted information. And that has actually caused a bit of scepticism around these technologies. Even GPs find this information hard to translate. So what we've tried to do at DNA Nudge is demystify that whole process. On a small little cartridge, we can take a saliva sample, and within 20 minutes, we can then translate your medical genetics focused around nutrition in particular and determine what food is good or bad for you based upon your DNA. And it's not saying that you should eat bananas instead of biscuits because we know those sorts of diets don't work. The best diet, as we all say, is the diet you don't know you're having. So effectively, what we tried to create is a nudging device 
saying to people, look, this is your natural behavior. These are the sorts of products that you like and you're going to buy them anyway. But we're giving people more choices and healthier choices within that range. We're not actually looking for genes that determine what you can metabolize or not. We're actually looking at medical conditions. We're looking at propensity to particular conditions related to nutrition, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, obesity, for example, caffeine metabolism. These are the sorts of genes that we're really focused on. Now, as I mentioned, you know, genes are dumb. Your DNA is dumb. It's how lifestyle expresses those genes. So it's really just a, a warning. And, and your DNA is therefore guiding you. It's saying, look, you know, you can have biscuits. But actually, these are the better biscuits for you based upon your DNA. With salt, peanuts might be a classic example where you might now change what peanuts you eat because some have got more salt than others, which could be more important for you than sugar sensitivity. So that's DNA nudge. And with that, I found, for example, that I'm slow to metabolise coffee, very sensitive to salt, but not so sensitive to sugar. Uh, lots of the quite interesting facts. The second company I've enrolled with is called Mudo Health, which says it's the world's first epigenetics profiling programme. And essentially, rather than a one-off snapshot of your DNA, this tracks your internal health via regular samples to give you what it calls hyper-personalised advice. Also things like your real biological age. Miguel, luckily you're an expert in this. Tell us a little bit about what epigenetics is. Well, epigenetics basically means the science that tells you about how the environment, including diet, changes the ability of the genes to express what they are supposed to be doing. So a gene is only a, a possibility. A gene that metabolizes a certain nutrient, for example, folic acid, can have a neutral variant. It can have a positive variant or it could have a negative variant. And according to the environment that gene exists in, and that can be uh, a person who eats loads of chocolate, a person who smokes, a person who doesn't have any exercise compared to a person who doesn't eat any chocolate, runs every day and lives in a healthy kind of environment, that gene can actually be doing different things. It can be producing loads of folic acid or little folic acid. So it's the ability of the environment to mold the function of genes. And not only nutrition will do that, many other aspects will do it. Emotions will do it as well if you're feeling stress, for example. So it's complicated, but that's the simple explanation. So do you think, Miguel, that it's possible to do it usefully with food and diet, this epigenetic testing, or is it a bit premature? I'm open-minded to this kind of test because I believe that if consumers don't embrace them, they will only remain the property of scientists in a lab. And that would be very sad because I'm all about the applicability of science and for people to make the most of the scientific findings that happen in a lab. So we need to embrace them little by little and find what is possible and what is not possible. I do think that we may be slightly early in that development and that we need to probably fine tune what samples are taken, how they are analysed. For example, that biological age is fascinating, but it could mean nothing really depending on what scale they are using what kind of markers they are being analyzed what kind of aspects of your dna are being analyzed there's one other related area which is also something that clive's written about a few times is the microbiome tell us about what the microbiome is and its importance in nutrition 
Sure. So the microbiome is actually another aspect that modulates or can regulate the genes. And the microbiome is actually the microbial gene. So you've got bugs in your gut that live in there, the microbes or bacteria that live in your gut. And in fact, more than bacteria, you can have parasites and yeasts and all sorts of things going on in there that we have thought of as being bad in the past. And now we are realizing that may not be bad at all. So the work that I'm doing at uh, South Bank University is actually clinical trials to figure out what happens to your microbiome when you eat fermented foods, things like kefir and sauerkraut that are very trendy at the moment. But not only what happens to those microbes, what happens to your brain, what happens to your mood. And it happens because those microbes in your gut, those gut bacteria, are actually behaving in certain ways when you feed them certain foods. And that behavior makes them express genes, their own genes. So they produce different substances, natural substances that go around your body and make your brain feel better or worse. So they can make you feel more anxious or less anxious, for example. And from my neuroscience kind of background, I'm very interested in the ability to modulate your brain, to regulate your brain with something as simple as a drinking kefir in the morning. So... The simple answer, the short answer is, yes, you can regulate your own genes by means of your bacteria talking to your genes or their bacterial genes talking to the human genes. It's a complex communication system that is beautiful and it happens all the time. Yes. So just to sum it up, there are three levels of genetics and epigenetics Mm -hmm. here. One is your own genes, the three billion units of DNA, three billion letters of a genetic code. Then there's the epigenetics, Mm -hmm. all the sort of chemical tags that you were talking about that can switch off your genes. And then there's Mm -hmm. presumably an unknown number of billion microbial genes as well. And they all work together with what you eat to make you healthy or ill. Absolutely. That's a very good way of putting it. And how can we test for the microbiome? So microbiome testing is actually very well developed. There are a couple of gold standard techniques. One of them is this thing called 16S that is basically looking at mapping the the bacterial genes by means of looking at a piece of RNA in the bacteria. That piece of RNA actually identifies that bacteria. So it's like naming that bacteria. That bacteria is called Miguel. The other one is called Juan. The other one is called James. So each bacteria has got a name and they've got different properties. So then scientists in the lab know what the bacteria are actually doing. So that's a very simple, very streamlined kind of process that scientists have been doing for a while now and is very well studied, is very well validated. So according to that mapping that you do, then you can do a number of things to increase or decrease those bacteria. Again, that science is still evolving. We still don't know exactly how you increase the number of Miguel bacteria in your gut or decrease the number of Juan bacteria in your gut. We're still at that kind of infancy point, but we do know that a range of different fibers, for example, instead of actually just sticking to eating cucumber as your main vegetable, if you eat a range of green vegetables, Each vegetable will give you slightly different types of fiber that your bacteria will like, and that will increase the spread or diversity of bacteria. And diversity means health. And that has been a correlation that has been tried and tested in scientific papers as far as 10 years ago. So it's uh, it's very well studied. Thank you very much, Clive and Miguel. And for more on developments in this field, make sure you read the FT Special Report, The Future of Food and Agriculture. 
That was Darren Dodd talking to Clive Cookson and Miguel Toribio Mateas. You can find a link to the Future of Food series in our show notes. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, you can find our latest subscription offers at ft.com forward slash offer.